Welcome everyone to Sisterhood. It's good to be with you. This is week two. I'm Pastor Lindsay Willis. I've been a part of the River Valley team, pastoral team, for 16 years. I was really young when I started. No, I'm kidding. Um, But anyway, I've been a part of the team for 16 years. My current role on the team is in our global project area. Um, If you've been at River Valley any, any length of time, you know that our heart is global, which means we care that everybody on the face of the earth gets a chance to hear that Jesus loves them and has an amazing plan for their life. Currently today, around the world, 42% of the people don't have that chance. There's no church, there's no Bible, there's no Christian. I just talked to some of our 500 the other day. In the country in which they live, and I can't say it, But in the country which they live, 5 million people, the same size as the state of Minnesota, there are 10 Christians. 10. We need to have a part in mobilizing 500 people. And it's not just the 500. The 500 is only about 6% of our church. So do the other 94% of us just get to put our hands in the pocket and ignore it? No, we all have a role to play. You're most likely not going to be asked by God to go to the mission field. But if you are, please say yes, because it's really a cool thing to do. But for the rest of us, we can pray. Pray for our 500 every day. Pray for nations. You can send. You can support our missionaries. And honestly, you can be someone who welcomes someone who lives here in Minnesota, in our metro area, that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't eat like you, doesn't dress like you. Because they could be the Billy Graham or the Wilhelmina Graham of their homeland. And if they hear about Jesus from you and you welcome them into your life in your home and you share Jesus with them, maybe they'll go back to their homeland and share the gospel with Jesus. So I just say that as a plug to have a global heart because it is so much fun to do that. And that's my passion. But I'm not here to share that tonight. That was extra. So now let me get into this. Pastor Becca started last week, and she shared that the theme for this year in sisterhood is my determined purpose, is that we might know him. So our determined purpose is that we might know him. I think it's only appropriate to start with that verse that she started with last week. And it should be on the screen on the screen, yes, and then let's read it together in the Amplified Bible. It says, for my, together, that's you, that's you, together, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly. For those of you that have heard me teach before, you know that I can speak at 95 miles an hour. That is not what God asked me to do tonight. So if you're tired, slap, oops, that was a bad thing. Slap your face, wake yourself up. I just helped you. Because I'm going to take this slow tonight because we want this word to sink in. Our determined purpose is to know him. Not to know what he can do for me, but to know him. To have fellowship with him. To be 
intimate with him, to know his heart, to know his heart beat, to know what he wants done in every circumstance, including your life, but also the lives that God wants to teach and reach through you, right? Your, this, your spiritual growth isn't the end. You grow so you can help someone else grow, who can help someone else grow, who can help someone else grow. So when we get to know him, it overflows out of our lives into others' lives. So we want to know him. But let's start with this question tonight, because I'm, I'm teaching in a long line of great speakers this semester about who he really is. But who is this person we're determined to know? Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, good one day, bad the next. Good one moment, bad the next. Really joyful and happy and content one moment and angry and about ready to knock you over the head the next. Is that... Who we're determined to know? I think sometimes we, out of our own relationships with people that we've known, who have been just like that, maybe project that onto God. But I can assure you, he's not temperamental, he's not flippant. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift is a gift, whatever is good and perfect, is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heaven. He never changes. How many people do you know like that? That never change. He's consistent, steady, always the same. He's always going to react to you the same way. His reaction to you is not dependent on what you have done or how you've lived or whatever. He is the same. Who is God? Tonight I'm going to talk about he is love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is love. They have existed eternally in a loving relationship. That's all they know how to do. That's all the atmosphere that they live in. In fact, that was the atmosphere that they created in the Garden of Eden, and then guess who royally messed that up? Right? They are Love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what they've done is they've invited us into that relationship, into that love. 1 John 4, 8 says, God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is love. So then in my book, that begs the question, if God is love, what is love? You know, interesting, in the English language, love is just one word. It's just love. I love coffee. In fact, I love coffee so much that the, I'm gonna, I hate to admit this, but at times I'll go to bed at night excited to get up tomorrow morning to have my cup of coffee. <laughs> Anybody else with me? I just, I, I have a great coffee machine. I don't make apologies for it. I put good coffee in it, sustainably sourced, so it's not cheap stuff, but it helps farmers make a good living because we want them to make a good living but I love coffee. 
some of you know me enough, I love golf. I wish I could, I don't know why I live in Minnesota when I love golf. I don't love Minnesota for that reason. But I love golf. There are people in here that I know very well, and I could say to them, and they would know, I love you. I can also say that to this whole room and all of those of you watching, I love you. Is that the same as loving golf and coffee? See, love doesn't, love is, love is, love has been hijacked in America. Love is not a feeling. The love we're going to talk about, not a feeling, but that's how most people equate love in America today. If it feels good, I must be in love. Interesting thing. The New Testament was written in a language called Aramaic. The word for love, translated from Aramaic and Greek into English, is a word that has never been used prior to the New Testament. It was, it, in fact, New Testament scholars say, where did this word come from? The word that they use for love in the New Testament that describes who God is was a word that wasn't used in the New Testament. And they, I find that fascinating, and I think the reason they did that is what they saw in Jesus Christ was so otherworldly when it comes to this idea of love that they couldn't use normal words because he was so different than anything else they'd encountered. We're in the series here in church, The Chosen. I don't know if you, have, if you haven't watched it, please go watch it. Please, please, please go watch it. You can argue with some things in that, but I think they're doing a really good job. But the one thing I know they're doing really well at is capturing Jesus is love. In fact, ladies, this concept that God is love, Jesus is love, the Holy Spirit is love, they're all love, they're all the same. This word agape is so fundamental to our intimacy with God, we've all got to get it. And if this concept is a struggle for you, I want to echo what Susie Larson said Friday night, spend time every day meditating on the truth that God is agape until it busts all the chains off your life. Because it will do that. The word used in the New Testament was agape, never been used before. It was so, what they saw in Jesus was so incredibly different than any way any other person had loved them. They had to use a new word. Vine's Dictionary, if you're a Bible nerd like I am, Vine's Dictionary defines agape this way. Agape can be known only from the action that it takes. God's agape is seen in the gift of his son. But obviously, this agape is not just affection, because what Jesus did as the son of God is far beyond what affection would do. Agape is not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. In other words, agape doesn't love because we deserve it. No one here, no one there, 
will ever be worthy of or deserve agape. But that doesn't mean agape doesn't agape you. God is agape. That's all he is. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's how he lives. That's how he interacts with you. That's the only way he knows to interact with you. You just let that seep into your hearts, please. I'm just going to do this for a minute. It's not my notes. Will you please just write down, tonight I retire from trying to earn God's love. Tonight I retire, I quit, I resign, whatever word you can put in there, from trying to be good enough for God to love me. That's a losing battle. God loves you because he is agape. God agapes you because he is agape. He cannot not be agape. He cannot agape you. Cannot not agape you. That's who he is. 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've heard this. And they read it in about 10 seconds. We're not going to do that. In the New Living Translation, it reads this way. This is who God is, right? We've already established that agape was a new word to describe something the disciples had never seen before. So different than the love they had ever seen before. They called it agape. Agape, verse 4, is patient. Oh, gosh. Please let that. Agape is patient. Always the same, steady, never changing. Agape is patient. Not only patient, agape is kind. Agape is kind. You never have to worry how agape is going to be. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. Agape is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. Agape is not rude. I wish I had more time. I could speak to that, but I'm going to leave that there. Listen to this. Agape does not demand its own way. In other words, agape will never force you to do something. 
God will never force you. When people say, God made me do it, that's a bunch of baloney because agape doesn't do that. Agape does not demand its own way. Now that sounds beautiful, but the flip side of that is when you do your own way, agape lets you do it. Doesn't mean agape doesn't still love you, but agape loves you enough to let you do what you want to do, but then you're stuck with living with the consequences of what you chose to do because consequences are baked into the choices we make. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He does. But his love doesn't eliminate consequences. His love walks us through, never abandons us in the midst of the consequences. So you're never alone. Because agape never leaves you. Agape is not irritable. Thank God for that. Agape doesn't get upset when it's going to be 20 below tonight with 40 mile an hour winds. Sorry, it's Tuesday. It's night. Agape is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. In other words, agape doesn't look at you, oh, you're the one that did that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to have to talk about that. I remember. Oh, and I remember the other thing you did too, right? Can we talk, you know, That was 15 years ago, but we still need to talk about it because, you know, agape doesn't remember what you did wrong. This is how God loves you. Agape does not rejoice about injustice. In other words, agape isn't happy that injustice happens in this world. Agape knows that justice is going to happen in this world because agape gives free will to people. And agape has to do that because that's what agape does. But he's never happy when you are the victim of injustice. What does agape do? It rejoices when the truth wins out. Agape never gives up on you. Agape never gives up on you. Let me say that again because somebody... Either hearer or watching needs to hear that. Agape never gives up on you. Even when you want to give up on you. Agape will not give up on you. Agape never loses faith in you. Agape put his stamp on you You are stamped with his image. You belong to him. He never loses faith in his image in you. Agape is always hopeful about your future because there's nothing you can do that can escape agape. And if you'll just turn back to agape, agape will walk you through. Agape endures, endures, through every circumstance. Years ago, you see ladies, (laughs) when I reached 30, and then I reached 35, no, actually it was 25, and then about 27, and then about 29, then about 31, then about 33, and I wasn't getting married, even though there had been proposals, I was like, God, I need to understand your love here, because 
they're all getting married. I had 27 dresses in my closet. They were all getting married. I was not getting married. And so I said, God, I need a revelation of your love. I need a revelation of who you are. Because right now, I feel like you're cheating me. But I know that's not who you are. So I need a revelation of your love. And he pulled me aside from a lot of busy activity. He said, just spend time with me. And during that time, this is how he had defined agape for me. Just one long word. Forever the same love. Forever the same love. Forever the same agape. No change, no variation, no shadow of turning. Every time I go to him, he is agape to me. So in the last couple of minutes, why do some women struggle so much with knowing and experiencing that level of agape? That's what I was wrestling with. God, I prayed, Father, give, give us all a revelation of the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of your love. Because if we could understand that we are always constantly in his love, it would wash away fear. It would wash away anxiety. It would wash away the pain that others have inflicted on us because his love is the most healing thing that we could ever experience. And I said, Lord, what is the deal? And he said, shame. Women believe that they're not lovable. It's a lie. I love them. I agape them. I agape every one of you. But if you believe the lie of shame that you're unlovable, you'll, it's like a Kevlar shield over your heart. It'll never get in. Religion. Talked about that earlier. That means I have about two minutes left. Shh. Quiet. Thank you. We believe the lie that we have to earn his love. That's a lie. Talked about that a moment ago. We carry unforgiveness in our hearts toward those that have hurt us. Unforgiveness blocks us from receiving the love of God, but not only forgiving others. We don't forgive others. We don't forgive ourselves. I've talked to many women that can't forgive themselves for decisions they've made, and because of that, they struggle to receive the love of God. Another thing is we blame ourselves for choices we made, things that other people did to us. We blame ourselves and we say, I got what I deserved. I, I just got what I deserved. So I'm, I'm broken, I'm damaged, beyond repair, God can't love me. And then finally, we project what our broken parents may have in the way they've loved us, we project that onto God. Your parents, I don't care how good they were, can never love you the way agape loves you. And you need to learn, you need to let God separate those two from you. Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Agape 
loved us when we were enemies, how much more now that we're his daughters? Let me end with these three statements. Four. God doesn't agape us because of us. God doesn't agape us because of us. He agapes us in spite of us. Because he is agape. And for God not to agape us, he would have to stop being God. And in the words of a really popular song right now, he won't. He won't ever stop being agape. Father, let this truth sink so deeply into our hearts. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in who you really are. Father, tonight it is not about us. It's all about you. And you are agape. In Jesus' name, amen.